Welcome to the Mentality Podcast, where we have real conversations with real people about healthy masculinities. I'm your host, Lao Jokan, and throughout this podcast, we'll hear from a wide range of guests about the views and experiences of manhood. We'll look at the bits we should celebrate, but also its messy parts, while having a bit of a laugh. Welcome back to Mentality Podcast. It's great to be back behind the mic after some time off. I had the privilege to celebrate my birthday in the middle of this month to go away and just to relax and kick back. But equally, it's good to be back behind the mic and in London recording this episode. And today's topic is mentoring. But before I go into that, I want to say thank you ever so much for your positive feedback on the last episode on women's safety. Such an important topic. And if you're new to the podcast, I definitely encourage you to check it out. Also, if you're new, please don't forget to subscribe, like and comment on whatever platform you're listening from. This just helps with the ratings and more people can find out about this podcast. I do intend to keep this podcast free and make it available for as many people as possible. But one thing that will support the work that I'm doing with Mentality Podcast is to receive monthly donations. And that's why I included the buy me a coffee link in the caption of this episode where you can donate equivalent of a coffee, either a one-off or monthly donation to support the work that I'm doing. But back to today's topic, which is mentoring. I have the pleasure to speak to Claude Murray. Some of you might remember Claude from our first webinar in November 2020, where we covered the topic of toxic masculinity and its relationship with men's mental health. Then he was the head of mentoring at XLP. And if you haven't heard of XLP, it's a charity that creates positive futures through mentoring for young people in the city communities across London. And now he's a therapist in public sector and he has a wealth of experience in, in mentoring. And Claude and I talk about the importance of mentoring. And if you ever considered mentoring before, we share a few tips why you should consider mentoring. You can start as early as your 20s or 30s, if there's anything that you have to give to a younger person, it's your time, it's your experience and your presence. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Claude Murray. Hi, Claude. Lau, good to see you. Good to be here. And uh, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to, to have you here and just, you know, enjoy the conversation. If you want to maybe share a bit about your role at XLP as head of mentoring and what involved and all things around mentoring. Good question. So uh, first, you know, my, my name is Claude Claude Murray. I say I'm a student of life, commuting through, through the world, trying to have impact um, wherever I can. Um, so in terms of mentoring, wow, so XLP and I, and I smile, fills me with great memories. I was at XLP for five years. So my role as head of mentoring was overseeing a mentoring program that was operating in six different boroughs. And the aim was to work with young people aged from 11 to 18, providing them a, a positive role model, positive support system, not a perfect person, because that person doesn't exist, but a positive role model that they could meet once a week. I believe and the organisation believes, even though I'm no longer there, I still believe that when we think of poverty, a lot of time we think of resources and finances. But for a lot of the young people that we were working with, relational poverty was a real thing. So not having relationships, especially with adults that were enriching, empowering and encouraging. So what we would do is provide the young people someone that would be able to be a positive role model and they would meet with that young person once a week 
over a 12-month period, meeting weekly, provide a positive sounding board uh, to work around the young person's aspirations, do some positive recreational activities, and then to also just, um, you know, inspire and encourage and almost serve as a, a sat-nav, you know, of, 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 that, of direction. And, I, um, and my role would be to oversee the mentoring relationship or oversee the managers that we're working with, the young people and the families. So over that 12-month period, go to the home, meet the family. It's very important that we met them as a unit and got to feel where they were living and what was going on for them as opposed to just it being ink on paper. So being in the lives of the of the families uh, at Dukan as a privilege because uh, these young people and families didn't have to work with us. Who are we, right? So it was just great to be a part of that process and overseeing, you know, the, the whole program and it was amazing just seeing the lives of young people being impacted, just seeing change and the transition in many lives. Um, one that fills me with uh, much joy and um, yeah, some, some good memories. Speaking about good memories, I think this is how actually we met, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, we just met uh, through XLP and I was one of the volunteers you were kind of managing and, mm. you know, matching with a, with a mentee. And I think for me, this experience of looking after a young boy, I'm very grateful and I felt quite honored to feel that this family allowed me to spend time with their child for one year. I like the, the point you mentioned about this is kind of the village, the so-called mm. village. And reminds me of one of the blog posts that I put, famous African proverb, you know, you need a village to raise a child because mentors are those aunties and uncles that we all need. I think we're so much focused nowadays on mom and dad and the children and they should bear all the responsibility mm. in raising a child or the children. I think we miss that a bit. Like, for example, like in, in you know, from the culture I come from, uncles or the the grandparents play a massive role maybe not as much as maybe other cultures but at least the extended family is very active in raising the child and then you have those kind of informal relationships as you know the mentors the aunties who can you know speak truth and help us and in a way counterbalance the things that unfortunately our parents can't offer us and it's it's a healthy environment that i think we need and that's why i think the work that you or you're doing with, with xlp was so impactful and so great and so meaningful. Yeah, fully concur that the village, nine times out of ten, is where young people and members of the community are mentored, you know, so whether that's through faith-based groups or whether that's within the family unit. And um, as I said earlier, I think we've all got something to give. A lot of times what we do have to give is our experience. And I think the misconception sometimes within, like, mentoring is, what do I have and I know we all grow old and doesn't mean that we all grow wise. Experience is a, is a, can be a real powerful teacher. Definitely can cope with what you're saying. I remember when I started the, the mentoring process, I asked myself the exact same question. Like, I think it's a normal kind of self-doubt that we might have at times. But I think while I'm in the process, I realized that not that how great I am, but more that the fact that actually... There actually is a lot of chemistry, a lot of, mm. and also it was only that I was giving, but also I was receiving a lot. So the idea is like how much I learned from this young boy. I'm sure he didn't even know just by spending time together. And he was such an amazing boy. That's powerful and really poignant because it's a relationship, you know, and, and no matter what relationship we embark on, you know, we're a professional, personal 
especially when it's a positive relationship, we are impacted um, and we, we learn. Um, and I think that's why I started off at the beginning saying I'm a student of life because I'm always looking to create these classrooms of learning new things from new people um, or even existing people that I know. And I think with mentoring, it's so powerful how we can learn from the mentee because they've got their experiences. And I think the key thing within what you're saying is the humility, being able to say, do you know what? I'm open to learning from my mentee and I don't know all of it. You know, as men, you know, sometimes we, you know, I, I know everything. I've got it all together, you know, the chest out. Um, but almost like, now, okay, now let me be willing to learn from, you know, my mentee. And um, yeah, it, it, and it's funny because I remember like mentoring some young people myself um, and just seeing the shift in the rapport where it's like first, because mentoring is not about doing something to someone, it's about doing something with, you know, commuting together. But sometimes it doesn't start out like that. It starts like you're doing quite a bit as the mentor. And then once that rapport slowly has been built and there's that kind of like balance and trust, because trust is the bridge, right? Sometimes there's that Berlin Wall, like, okay, well, you know, a little bit skeptical. Okay, what is this about? You know, who is this person? Why are they doing this? You know, why do they meet me every week? Do I actually want to do this? Like, and then they see your commitment, your consistency. And oh, this person's authentic. They are actually here for my greater good. And you kind of see the wall come down and then that trust build. And then there's that moment where maybe they share part of themselves that they've kept quite concealed. Um, or they let you a little bit into their world. There's that kind of like that meeting, meeting of the minds and meeting of the souls, as I would say. And that can be a really enriching experience for the mentor. Yeah, really important to be open to learning. I think, as you say, trust is so, so meaningful. Like like any relationship, we need to trust that the other person, their intentions are positive. Yeah. And I remember that how my mentee, eight, nine years old, he's, he's from a British Caribbean background, and he was testing my views on, rightly so, like, I don't know this person, mm. why he's spending time with me, what do you believe? And I mean, obviously, I was a bit surprised because, you know, I didn't expect, you know, him being so young, being so aware, which I think is good that he was aware, but I wasn't, I wasn't expecting it. But we had a conversation and I say that obviously he was a bit more relaxed, but I think that the consistency that we spent time, you know, week in, week, week out, it helped to know that I'm there and I'm not just going to dip in and out or that I care about him. And I think for me, one one session that was, I think, so interesting that this was online because everything was, you know, locked because of the pandemic. The whole session, he was trying to trick me that he's actually looking at me when he had the PlayStation, you know, screen above above the, the laptop and he was playing with his mates. And he, rightly so, you know, after eight or nine hours at school, you just, you don't want to be thought about, let's do something else. I just want to play with my friends. Mm -hmm. And I said, again, you know what, you know, I'm here to spend time with you. I really like spending time with you. I care about you. But I felt a bit sad that I'm here to spend time with you and you just literally ignore me playing PlayStation. And he said, sorry, a meaningful story. They realized that instead of maybe being defensive or, you know, playing out, he was, he, he responded to me. And then his response for me was the best session. Like, because I felt, I felt hurt and I felt we connected that, you know, I said something and responded to it. He didn't just like brushed over. So that was quite, quite great session for me as well. What you just said, there's a lot in there. So you've got eight and nine year old who is seeing the world through his lens. 
whatever is feeding that lens, whether that's home, community, and he has a perspective, you know, on what is happening to people that look like him. So then he's doing his risk assessment on you. You know, he's assessing who, okay, who's this guy? Okay, cool. He's from this organization. Um, what's his intention? And then mentoring is, is, what's so powerful about it is that it is clearly communicating that I'm here for you. Now, it might not always be received like that, but this time is intentionally specific aimed at the young people or the mentee. I'm here to connect with you and support. Sometimes that's alien. The spotlight being solely on this person. Uh, wow, this is about me. And that can feel a bit, a bit awkward because it's never really about me. I'm in school, there are other people, there might be other children in the home, or parents might be busy, or what? So, wow, okay, this guy's here to see me. And that can feel, as I say, that can feel alien. And then I think what, what, you, what you said about his reaction to your realness, and to your congruence, I think when we connect to what is going on with us first, and then we kind of share that, even at eight, nine, shows his emotional intelligence. And how he responded, and I'm sure he would have reflected, oh, okay, this guy is, he's real and he's here, he's present. And it's those little moments that are, are, are kind of game changers in relationships of all kinds of different by nature. Yeah, and I think what was really funny that also being with, with this young boy, in a way, made me connect with the young boy within me. You know, because we all, for example, we spent, like, <laughs> one point, we spent an hour or two you know, playing roadblocks, you know. Yeah, 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 and yeah. we just, I said for me, how can I enter into his world? The lesson is like, you know what, oh, let's play this and play that. And obviously, he was a big boss there. Like, you know, you couldn't just mess around. <laughs> this is what fascinates you. And it helped me to connect to see who he is, what he wants, and just go with his rhythm instead of because initially I was having my what the first things that I've learned like I was you know doing a plan and that was going off the window in the first two minutes you know I was like it wouldn't help but that's why I think I was changed by this it's about him uh, in his needs and how can I just make sure that he's getting his me time as best as possible it was just such a nice bonding experience another lesson that I've learned that I think it was a bit made me reflect of like the privilege that some children have that they grow up and then have to wonder for example like why people who look like me are not well received by society and at eight or nine years old like this shouldn't be first of all shouldn't be any, at, at any time that worry shouldn't be shouldn't exist but especially at eight or nine years old to have those questions about this one really struggling, like, why policemen hate people like boys who look like me? And for me, it was like, how can I bring a friend? And I brought a police officer who's of that background to have a chat with him to see that that actually you are great the way you are, full stop. And it makes me think, um, my son, you know, at the time, and he asked me, Daddy, why are police racist? And I freed off. And we're now having a conversation about what racism is in a child-friendly way and we're having a conversation about police and we're having a conversation about you know the statement that he just made and where that came from you know um, what 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 has caused him to say that you know we, we unpack that a bit and that was like a it was mind-blowing that I'm having this conversation with my son you know um, who's of you know Caribbean background um, 
at three and a half, we're having the conversation about, you know, self, identity, ethnicity, um, that boys like him, that look like him, um, do have a rough time in the hands of the law. Um, not all police are racist. You know, and making that you know making that really clear, um, but racism does exist, and you know um, the police have got it wrong at times. You know, and, and, and that was really profound. Like, you know, because trying to educate him in, in in a way where he now is informed and has insight, but that he's not living on edge. You know, um, and making him understand that he is beautiful, he's handsome, his skin is, you know, royal, he's precious, you know, and we're, we're doing affirmations about who he is. So when he leaves the home, whatever is happening, he always has a memory bank, stored information about himself, cannot be robbed and taken away by what is happening in the community, but it yeah, just what you meant, you mentioned, it did make me feel like, wow, you know, the, the, the children that we may go on to mentor, um, or even our own children, as much as we feel that some concepts and topics and themes might be quite advanced for them, you know, latching onto certain conversations that are happening, how we grew up in my time and generation, and the conversations I would have had with my mum, totally different to what I'm having with my son in this time, in this era. Yeah, absolutely spot on with like I feel the same way that the reaction is definitely mind-blowing. Like when you mentioned three and a half, how ingrained things are that we need to still work on and have these conversations. And I think speaking about like mentoring and healing and one of the things that um, I think I'm aware that you, you've, you've seen the, the play for black boys who've considered suicide when the Hugh gets to have it, mm. it was one of the best plays that I... It was just showing how boys were, you know, the, the experiences they, they had, the, the plethora of experiences, but also how they were looking for, for, for healing, for trying to support each other and doing that kind of kind of joint therapy together, mm. which I think is so important that we men, regardless of what we went through, and that's why I think it's great that you have that both experience of mentoring and, and therapy as well, that... You know, it's a beautiful, but also a lot of a lot of work that happening happens in in that world as well. Yeah, I think you know the play definitely hit home for me. Yeah, in a number of different areas that you know it made me think of my own personal experience and then my my tribe, my community, people I know. And I think the writer did an amazing job at capturing the nuances of black experiences so we're not monolith it's not this one size fits all like there's this one prototype black boy or black man and I think how they captured the nuances were, were amazing and there was a there was a quote that hit me because uh, it was about the village and it said that if the children or the young boys the young men don't feel a part of the village they don't feel love it'll burn it down to feel warmth. That's really deep. And yeah, yeah. that's why we need, I think, the, the village, because that's where the safe environment we grow and receive the love that we need. Yeah. This is what I've learned from my experience through mentoring, that village is not just the informal relationships that we have with mentors, 
but the school is part of the village. The hospital we go to is part of the village, and so on and so on. So I've seen that how impacted my my mentee, like the relationship he was having at school, and how maybe he was moved from a class to another, and then how his behavior changed, and then like his needs were actually weren't addressed, his needs weren't heard. It just put him in a place where I think he wouldn't grow and he wouldn't get, as you said, the love he needs to be feel welcome in the village. And also the feedback I've got is that, but some teachers, they, you know, they weren't responsive to the needs of, of, the, of the children. And that's a bit sad because I understand also the pressures on teachers that you have, you know, 20 children, you know, all needing attention. But I've seen with my mentee that we went like the last time when we graduated we went to the movies thing. We're just chatting. And at one point he was, you know, as a kid, you know, being restless, started to play with the, with the flammable part of the chair. He was like hitting back, back and forth. And I said, let's just be quiet for now. Let's just chill for now. And he stopped. He didn't protest that he didn't just like, he realized that it was disturbing what he was doing. And I think he was able to respond like that because he trusted me. That's why I think going back to the other village, all these struggles are so important. And that's why we need more informal relationships or mentors or, or even like, are the structures that we can put like social clubs mm. for children to spend their time and to be in rich relationship wise mm. and receive, as you said, because mm. people like they, their relationship poor and how they can, you know, be enriched mm. by, by that. Yeah, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you kind of unpack a little bit deeper what the village is, you know, and I think it's about these establishments, services, seeing themselves as a part of the village. That's, I think that's fundamental. So that's an internal. So that's about like internal auditing, you know, within these establishments, like, okay, what is our ethos? You know, okay, so we're here to serve the community. So the hospital is there to serve the community. The police is there to serve the community. Schools are there to educate and serve the community. The government is, parliament is there to serve, you know, parliament is to serve the community. And I think what, what happens a lot of times is, you know, I, I spoke on my podcast about the concept of, you know, mirrors and windows, um, and windows is, you know, looking outside the window at everybody else and, you know, what these people are doing, what this establishment is doing. But often what happens is blind spots become even more enhanced when we don't, when we continue to look out the window at everybody else because we're not looking at ourselves. And I think that's where the self-auditing comes. Let's remove the window and replace it with a mirror where we have to look at ourselves. Okay, this was our ethos. This is our, our strap line. Are we still adhering to it today? You know, how many years ago when it came up, there may have been the intention to honor this and this is what was our inspiration. However, is that what we're doing today? And then in the self-auditing where services are able to look at, okay, maybe we're not hitting the mark and we're going to need to have some tough conversations and being honest. And that's what tragic and horrific and sad what took place with George Floyd. The, the ripple effects caused many services and establishments and organisations to have to look at themselves. Some from a, a, a place of we're just going to do it to tick the box. But, but I do know some organisations did make some practical changes and not just put in the black person as the head of diversity and inclusion. You know, that some practical changes were, were made. And I think, yes, fun, it's fundamental in doing the self-audit because then now we can be like, okay, we are failing here. What do we need to do? So that's when we, we now look at training and being equipped and, you know, specialists coming in, you know, trained staff and 
turn the tables, <laughs> you know, turn, turn, turn the tables if I could, uh, you know, there's a famous story where, you know, Jesus was unhappy with what was happening in the temple and he turns the tables like, you know, this no longer can happen. And I think with honest, real, transparent, vulnerable and congruent self-auditing, we then say, okay, cool, we've got to change some things. And then being prepared to have specialists come in and, you know, whether that's training around, you know, cultural competency, I just think self-audit is really important. Absolutely. And I think I like your your analogy of mirror and, and windows. They're so good. And I'm thinking, well, different side of, of the coin of are we, you know, serving the community as, you know, as a window, like I'm here to give and then whatever I'm giving you, you should just stay. Yeah. Or I'm serving with the community, like using a mirror, like, okay, I'm listening to the community, what they need. And if I'm giving them what they need, how can I change that to make sure they receive what, what they need? And that's why I think a lot of things that can be improved when you mentioned tenant tables, one of the things that came to my mind is, and speaking about mentoring, the idea of reverse mentoring. So how can we have somebody who's unexperienced from a different perspective, but is very much experienced in other things and come to talk to us, we can learn. As you mentioned as well, requires humbleness. I'm here to learn again. And another thing that I wanted to say earlier about the play, so I'm just jumping a bit back. One thing that I liked it how well it was portrayed the idea that how black community is so diverse as well within the community, that it's not a monolith. And why it was also so emotional that also there were a lot of people around me that were like literally sharing tears mm. because it was, you know, so powerful, so strong and so vivid as it was so, so powerful. Yeah, fully concurred. Encourage everyone that I knew to go, go and see it and really believe everyone who has gone to see it has left. I have a bit more informed, challenged, evoked, you know, emotions have been evoked, questions. But then also, again, that self-audit, where am I in the story? I think that's the power of theatre and storytelling. That the story is told and you're watching these characters. The more profound and more like emotive the storyline is, I think it causes us to look at ourselves and if we connect certain characters, why? And I remember sitting there being able to connect with all of the characters because there are different moments in their lives that they were acting out. But I was like, oh, I know what that's like. Oh, I handled it like this. Oh, this is what me and my friends did. So yeah, such an amazing play, and I hope it does uh, come back out. Definitely, I would like to see it again if it will come come out again because it was so powerful and so meaningful. But also, you mentioned the idea it comes to self audit quite a few times, and I'm thinking for listeners, what tools you recommend when it comes to self audit to help them self regulation or emotional or mentally and so on that would help them become better men. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. Oh, man, just think I'm a better, better person, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in terms of becoming better, that's going to vary for different people. I think the first thing is patience with yourself. It's, it's so important because, especially in this day and era, you know, depending on your Instagram feed or social media feed, a lot of times we see the finish line, the finished product, but we didn't see the the day that first person started and in between and behind the scenes and the moments of wanting to give up. I say having a reason to get up, that ties into purpose. Having a reason to get out of your bed. And sometimes that can be a challenge. You know, the world can be really heavy. 
home life or family life, work life can be heavy, you know. In terms of emotional regulation, I think what's really important is about being able to recognize your thoughts, your feelings and your and emotions. So being able to be self-aware of what's going going on for you in the here and now, in that moment, maybe before making certain decisions, like where am I in this moment? Uh, what is happening? I think what's really important with self-regulation is self-control, which is aligned with discipline. Sometimes as men, that's an area that we lack, you know, an area that we struggle with is self-control. So being able to demonstrate that, and sometimes that can be really hard if we have a vice or even if we don't have a vice, but just exercising self-control, being able to manage our emotions and feelings. And within that, being able to speak out and ask for support when we are struggling. But not just when we are struggling, but like having a support system around us. I think that is really important. So being able to express to someone, your community, your tribe, where you're at, what's going on for you without the fear of judgment and without it feeling like a badge of shame. Because it's all about winning, right? We, you know, I'm winning, but like, okay, if I'm going through a challenge, that doesn't mean I'm losing. It doesn't mean I'm a failure. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm weak. So I think the reverse, the, again, the turning of the tables, as I mentioned earlier on with Jesus and the temple, but like the turning of the tables of being like, okay, cool, actually speaking out is powerful. Sharing about what's going on for me is powerful. And having a greater understanding of who I am. So we're looking at identity, so who I am, what forms my identity. And I think, I may have gone off on a bit of a tangent, but um, just as you, we, we talk about being able to speak out and share what's going on for you with others, it's really important about understanding that I am not the main person on the stage. It doesn't always have to be about me. I do not need to be the star of the show. I don't need to be the thespian actor that everyone has come to see. And don't need to be the rock star. Killing of the ego, I think is so important. Because the ego many times is what gets us into trouble. And I think when we are able to, words humility about being able to learn from our mentees. When we're in a place of being able to work on, you know, killing our ego and understanding that it's not always about us, then it allows us to allow people into our lives. Um, it allows us to open up. And then it allows us to hear different points of views. When I say it's not solely about you yet, as men, we are, we are formed, we're special, we're all unique individuals, all have gifts and abilities that unlock doors and allow us to be in rooms and be in positions that, you know, some people can only dream of. But just remembering that, you know, beyond those things that we're doing, we need someone. And I think every go-to person needs a go-to person. So I'd say identity, knowing who you are and what you stand for, your emotional self-regulation, which ties into your self-awareness, and then having a support system. That's really powerful. And I like that you mentioned the idea of having a support network, not to use it only in crisis. I'm going to A&E, emotional yeah, A&E. Yeah. The 999 number that yeah. dial, it's, you know, it's late but also the idea of emotional regulation. What I've noticed that sometimes is that we want quick fixes, like, oh, how can I just get it done? Whatever that situation might go through, like physical or emotional. But it's so important, the idea of emotional hygiene. Like, it's like you don't go to the dentist, do your feelings, and then 
oh, until next time, I'm not going to brush my teeth. Mm. But what prevents me to get to the dentist and that painful experience of, you know, getting feelings in is the, that I brush my teeth just to have in a parallel example, oral hygiene with like emotional hygiene. We have to make sure it's done consistently to clear those emotional pipelines. Mm-hmm. That we use the community regularly or that support mm-hmm. network, not only in a crisis moment. I think it's really powerful. How can we just share also the good things we, we go through with our community? Expressing emotions not only about the lows, but also mm-hmm. about the highs. I'm celebrating with my tribe, with my community, you know, the victories that I'm going through, small mm-hmm. or big. Because that's where a true community of friendship lies in, that we're in the highs and the lows of our lives. I think it's really, really powerful. But I'm also thinking you had a very rich experience with mentoring, therapy, and so on. But I'm curious, what is your kind of take, how your perception of what it means to be a man has changed over, you know, over your time? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that question. There was just something that came to mind when you mentioned about self-regulation. I think six areas that I think as human beings and as men that we can look at. So first, our physical, our psychological, our emotional, our spiritual, our personal, and our professional. So those six areas, if we were to do an audit, would be very telling in terms of that self-awareness and emotional regulation. I think in terms of how my perception has changed over the years, it's changed dramatically. For a man, you know, you had to be the loudest in the room to get your point across, you know, by any means necessary. And I say by any means necessary and at the cost of others. I felt that being a man, what I thought was being a man was you just protected and you just provided. There was no in between. As I've learned and seen over the years, a lot of times that's the world's expectation as well on us as men. That we're just protectors and we're providers. If we occupy those just two, those two offices of protecting and providing, we rob ourselves of a human experience. We then subscribe to we're not allowed to feel. We have to have it together. And I think, you know, over the years I've learned that, you know, that's up there with a few of the biggest myths that have been told and sold to us as men. I think what I've now learned is that I am a human being. I, I am a man living a human being experience. So I'm going to feel different things and that they're okay. And yes, I am a protector and a provider, but that's not all I am. I'm many more. Powerful, powerful. And first of all, thank you for vulnerability and openness to share your, your journey as a man. And I like those two pillars. If we just stay in these two points, like we protect or provide, we need to find a place where we maybe we are protected. We, it's provided for us emotionally, financially, whatever, you know, again, how it spreads out. Regardless if this is our partner, our friends, our family. That at the end of the day, we, yes, we are men. We're human beings as well. We have emotions. We have needs. That's where relationship is when we not only give, but also we receive. So you need to allow for that flow of of exchange uh, that part of a community or family and so on there needs to be but similar to you like i just realized it's actually okay to be vulnerable it's okay to just express and ask for help and there's so much power in that and so much freer experience to live in and that's too early that's something that's tall right yeah and then we we catch it as men not everyone's i'm mindful of not generalizing but i'm, I'm reminded of Two things when you say that. So the first is, I grazed my knee in the playground playing football on a concrete 
cement surface. I can only say, ouch. <laughs> that's right. So that's that's the human. That's like the human reaction. Like, ouch. That must hurt. That must hurt. And bleed as well. Bleed. So the blood is coming from the the wounds, the injury. I've hurt myself doing something. The surface around is terrible, but we play football on it. I'm in pain. I cry. The tears are a representation of what's internally going on for me. But then in that moment, I'm told to stop crying, hush, and get up. I'm not told, how, how, how are you? Does it hurt? So there's no one checking in what's going on for me in that moment. The bigger context of that is, in that moment, I'm told what's happening to me is not valid. I need to stop crying and that I'm not allowed to feel pain. And that's in primary school. For some people, they then carry that concept of when I'm hurt, I can't show that I'm hurt. Took my son to the doctors where you needed to get, you know, an injection. I remember it's a needle, goes in his arm, his skin's soft and tender, cries. Say to him, as I'm holding him, it's alright son, it's okay, I know it hurts, you're allowed to cry, let it out. And the nurse looked at me, shocked. She was just, she was observing our interaction and was just like, wow, I've never heard your parents say that. And, and the man say that to his son. And that just always stuck with me. And I've always kind of linked the two. I was trying to let my son know, even at that age, when something hurts, you're going to have a reaction. And if you want to cry, tears are a representation of what's happening internally, that this has affected you or this is hurting. You know, we have tears of joy and tears of excitement. But in this moment, it was tears of like of pain and uncomfort. Yeah, I just think that sometimes we're taught very early without even realising. Maybe people not even realising that they're teaching us that we carry and hold on to this concept. You know, in our 30s, 40, you know, traumatic experiences happen. We don't know how to, to release. Don't know how to release. So we wear these masks acting as if everything's okay. And one day that mask melts. And for some unfortunately that may be suicide. But if you track back what was this man told. So I guess I'm just saying that to say that our emotions and feelings and thoughts are all valid. We're allowed. And we need to give ourselves permission. And there's a lot of unlearning that we have to do. And maybe it's in the homes that we grew up in or Maybe it's our culture or tradition or tribes or community. And sometimes you may go against the grain. And you may be the first to be like, no, on my watch, this style stops. You know, we're going to create a home where we don't brush things under the carpet. In fact, we're going to have a home of laminated floors. Went off on a bit of a tangent, maybe, but those are just some thoughts that kind of stand to me as we sit in the space. Not at all. I think actually the direction for the conversation is quite powerful and first of all i think it's just such a great story the two stories you shared your own experience but also of your experience with your son some of the things that i pick up from there is one that you create a safe space for your son that not only to express his emotions but maybe even to ask for support from from you which is absolutely amazing but also the thing that you're doing is what legacy do we leave our boys no now that we are now as i mentioned like 30s 40s 50s what about the young boys, teenage boys, that we tell them what it means to be a man? Probably they've heard the good things, probably they had also a bit about the bad things, but how can we help them to deconstruct and leave a legacy of a much more freer, wholesome view of what it means to be a man? And that's why I think you 
you just mentioned you're doing with your with your son, which is absolutely beautiful, and it's great to hear those stories and to share those stories. Intentionality, being intentional with the self work, the self audit, as you mentioned, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and that comes in different forums and different modes that you can do self work, but starting with self, I think, is fundamental, and then being intentional, us being intentional with our interaction when we connect with younger men. Not that it's robotic and formulaic, you know, you want it to be organic, but being intentional to connect and to share, to share what we know is so important. Back to the anyone can be a mentor if they have experience. The information that we have is so important because sometimes the young men that we encounter and come across don't, don't have the information that we have. I think once someone has the information, they're able to make an informed decision and now have this new information. So there is now broader spectrum or buffet of being able to make choices. I no longer just have, it's like the person who just solely ate salad. And this is no knock to the salad eaters. <laughs> <laughs> but solely ate salad every day because they didn't know there was other food. They didn't know that there was tomatoes. <laughs> you know, they, they didn't know that there were cucumbers and oh, well, there's meat, you know, oh, now they have a broader spectrum of, yeah, to choose from, yeah, being intentional and offering the information. And whether it's received or not, we offered it. Yeah. And I think it's great that you're right, that we offer the information because we never know where the information might be used, maybe not within our time of interaction, yeah. but maybe, you know, it's just, again, like a seed that is planted That's and right. it takes time to grow organically. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think... We expect sometimes, you know, our, you know, fast-paced worlds, the things to kind of have a, a almost the instant or immediate result. Yeah. But that's a bit unrealistic because I realize even with my experiences, sometimes it took me years to realize or join the dots for some lessons that I've, they were sharing with me in the past or something that happened in the past. Only then I realized their impact. So it's just allowing just to be mindful that as you say, have patience with ourselves, they will respond very differently. Or others one very different than us, mm. you know, the same, you know, stimuli. And just as kind of we draw kind of to an end of our conversation, I, one thing that I really like to ask all my, all my guests is like, what are some of the traits you, you kind of find about healthy masculinity? Some of the healthy traits that you think, okay, this is a good habit for men to have. I think I, I think I referenced them. So identity. So men being intentional and discovering who, who they are. And that's an ongoing journey. I think the self-awareness and self-emotional regulation and that support system, your tribe, I think those three areas are so important. I think I mentioned purpose of why you get up in the morning. So what is your why? Yeah, I think those are, for me, when I think of healthy masculinity. Really good, really good, wholesome list. And another question that I meant to, to ask as well, is what are your, some of the stereotypes you dislike the most when it comes to being a man? Yeah, um, that you have it all together, meant to be strong in every moment. It's a really, really powerful one. And it's true, it's, it's such a ingrained, in, I said, in our, in our minds, this, yeah. this stereotype or false expectation. But I just want to close and say thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for all the wisdom, your openness to, to the conversation. Mm -hmm. I really, really appreciate that. Great. Thanks for having me, Lau, and um, it's always great connecting. 
Thanks. Blessings. Thanks for tuning in today, guys. And if you feel like you want to learn more about mentoring and becoming a mentor after listening to this episode, do get in touch and I can share a few links to some organizations that train people to become mentors. Equally, if you want to get in touch with Claude, I'll put his social media handles in the caption of this episode together with the details of his podcast. As for the next episode, it's a bit of a surprise, so I won't say much. Anything then, take care and keep listening to Mentality Podcast.